Great. Um, hello, everyone. Um, as, as Jake said, we're going to speak to Matt for a bit, for about half an hour or so. Matt's going to uh, share something from uh, the Bible, uh, a verse that's helped him. And then there's a chance for um, Q&A to ask Matt some, some questions. So as, as we go through and, and talk to Matt and you've got a question, maybe write it, jot it down. And there's a chance uh, later to, to ask him. So hello, Matt. Hello, Andy. Hello. Um, Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, just, just, um, just tell tell us how we know each other. Just fill everyone else in. Yeah, we've known each other for is it is it possible it's twenty years something like that. We we've done. Uh, yeah, we first met doing uh, summer camp. We were probably both um, sort of Christian sort of Christian holidays for teenagers um, that they can bring their friends on. And yeah, I remember meeting you one year and you were you were particularly good at table tennis. I shouldn't really be saying that because you're probably still quite good and that's slightly annoying, but uh, you... I don't mention uh, it. I don't mention you it. You don't mention it, okay. You, <laughs> uh, you, yeah, there was a lot of table tennis um, uh, being played. And then just over the years, these sorts of things, when you do them together, you just get to know people really quickly. So, yeah, we've been friends since then and... Uh, have had a number of holidays um, together and our wives we got married roughly the same time and our, we've got we both got two children of fairly similar age so I, you're you're not going to be able to shake me off is the is the situation <laughs> so, I wouldn't want to okay, thank you that was great. Um, that was great. so Matt just tell us a bit about your upbringing um yeah sure sure um I I live in the suburbs now in in Bromley. Uh, I think that's the suburbs, isn't it? Um, some <laughs> people call it Kent, but uh, it's basically suburban London. So far, and yeah, and I I I grew up in suburban London on the um, northwest side of London uh, near Watford, and yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what people from the suburbs aren't particularly interesting. I don't I don't think I'm a particularly interesting person. I grew up in the I always wished I'd either lived in the centre of the city or up in, uh, you know, out in the country. But uh, I grew up in suburban London. It was a very um, stable and happy upbringing. Um, my mum's Australian. She had met my dad in, in England and my dad was in the Navy. And so, but he'd done most of the travelling by, the, by that, that stage that I was born. So we, yeah, we just grew up in, in, in Watford, went to school there, a very stable loving family um little very little sort of experience of of suffering or 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 death really you know grandparents died in australia but yeah so just uh um that was upbringing older brother older sister younger brother and um yeah then i i did a levels went off to um university i went to um uh yeah, university and just loved uh, loved playing sport, and that was sort of uh, that was what I was into. I was basically a bit like a, a dog. I'd I'd chase any any ball of any description going. You know, I'd kick it, hit it, golf, football, tennis, rugby. So, yeah, sport was um, sport. Well, it still is in in a different form. Is um, yeah. been a big part of my life. So that was. That was upbringing, um, and then I moved to Bromley as a as a teacher. Initially, I was an English teacher for a few years. In fact, I taught in um, 
I oh. taught for a year in, in Alain's school in Dulwich. Mm. So I lived on, what's the road called? Is it Townley Road? Townley Road, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I lived, I lived there. Um, I lived there for a year. So I taught two years down in Orpington and then one year in Alain's as an, as an English teacher. And then I started working for the church I'm at now as a youth worker. And uh, did that. Can, can I just say, Matt, um, you once came to visit Alain's and you hadn't been there for about six years. Right. And you walked and you'd only been there yourself for a short amount of time. You walked yeah. in. And it, it was as if the second coming had taken place. Uh, uh, people swooning at your feet. It was uh, remarkable. Ben, I thought you were still on your fortnight call, Ben. Isn't it time for you to get back there? <laughs> yeah, no, it was good to. It was good to. That was Ben, wasn't it? I can't that see him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah, you're still there, are you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Should we talk about it now? No, <laughs> no, no. So that, yeah, a year there, a happy year there. But I, I then started working for a church, and then I, I, I was ordained in the Church of England. So I'm an ordained church church minister now. Does that? Sorry, that was a rather long answer. That, no, that uh, that fills us in, and then. And then, so just tell us um, how how your world changed 2013, eight years ago. Yeah, so that's the title for this evening: How to Cope When Your World Changed. And, and as I as I said, I life was a fair was a very stable life up to the up to my mid 30s. Um, yeah, I was. I, I went. I did. I took a job as a curate at an Anglican church in the centre of London. I, you know, I was finally not in the suburbs. I was in the centre, um, living in Fulham, cycling up to Mayfair. You know, um, pretty much past Buckingham Palace. It was, it was just life was great. Life was really good. I was single at, at that stage, and you know, lots of disposable time, and 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 it was, it was great. And then things, yeah, things changed very dramatically um, from stable to. Yeah, just just every, everything was thrown up in in the air. Um, on a on a holiday in 2013, so actually eight years ago, um, things changed on the 23rd of February. So that's two days ago, eight eight years ago. And uh, holidays had always been sort of very active for me: games on the beach, uh, walking the Pyrenees, um, windsurfing in Italy. They, those sorts of holidays and um, I went to the Scottish Highlands with you, among others. So it was you, um, three other friends, was it? Was it Kay, Ted, Rachel? It was the five of us, wasn't it? Yeah, we, we, we rented a place up there and uh, we probably went on the Saturday. It was, a, it was a lodge right up in the Highlands and we planned to just walk and mountain bike and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd had a few days of doing that. Is that what you remember? We just, we, we went for hikes, yeah. didn't we? It was brilliant. Lovely walks around locks. Really brilliant time. It was brilliant. Um, sunny, snow on the ground. Um, yeah, February half-term holiday. Yeah, it was. And yeah, on the Wednesday, um, you'll remember, we went for an amazing walk around this beautiful lock, Lock Mick. Um, and uh, we'd, we'd walked around that. It was crystal clear, snow on the hills, a brilliant day of hiking. And we'd come home, we'd had dinner, and I can I can remember the pretty much the precise time. It was three o'clock in the morning because I looked at my 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 clock, and suddenly you and I were sharing a room that night. And suddenly I, I woke up with just 
searing and sudden back pain. Um, uh, it was, yeah, it was agony. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. I think I crept upstairs. You might have been aware. Um, and yeah, I just, I was just crouched on the floor for the rest of that, that night, just, just, just in pain. And I assumed that it was, it was muscular, you know, although I knew it felt really painful, but I thought I'd slipped a disc or something like that. We've been carrying a rucksack. It was that sort of thing. I'd not had pain like it, but I had no framework for what it was. And the next day you, you all got up and, and I couldn't, I couldn't really take, take part in what was going on. I remember we, we went to learn fly fishing, didn't we? Didn't catch a thing. Didn't catch a thing. And you were, you were all in your waders. Yeah. Um, walking up and down I mean it was it was it was great fun and I was sort of I was just standing on the bank and I just had to keep moving because the because of the pain mm. and uh I know yeah I never did how's your fly fishing career taken off since then uh it's not great it's not great it? okay yeah. so but yeah so that uh that day was a write-off and the next couple of days I was just I think we set up a sofa bed in in the living room in the lodge and I just basically lay there for a couple of days and we, um, yeah, we went to see the doctor uh, up there and he asked various questions. He, he wondered if it was a perforated lung because I was struggling to breathe mainly because of the pain. And we took, uh, he gave me strong painkillers, um, which helped sort of suppress the pain. And yeah, I don't know. Do you remember anything? I mean, those are my memories. Do you remember anything before we set off for home from that time? I, that was the case, wasn't it? I was just lying. You were just in the sofa bed in the lounge yeah, for a yeah. couple of days. And yeah. I remember you going to late night A&E and coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so basically, I, you know, it was a Friday, you know, he said if it gets worse, you know, yeah, it was the GP went to, not A&E. He said if it gets yeah. worse, go to A&E. And, you know, it hadn't got worse, I guess, because of the painkillers. And it was Friday, I was like... Let's just get back to London. I'm sure we'll sort it out when we get there. I can see a physio if I need to. And so we we set off. It was a long journey back on the Saturday. And we got out at various service stations. And it, it was when we got to Stoke-on-Trent, um, which, um, yeah, to my shame, I, I couldn't have put on a map at that point, um, that when we got out at the service station, then um, my legs were, were, were wobbly. Um, and I had to be supported by probably by you or, or others and to get into the service station. And yeah. Um, and um, yeah, at that point, just a few short conversations with, with you and the others, we decide, yeah, I mean, I was struggling to walk and something wasn't right. We, something significant wasn't right. And so we made the right decision at that point to just to go straight to, a and E, which was you know half an hour away from the services, and we got there. And by that stage, um, I, I'm not sure I could even walk all of the way into um, A and E. And they they brought a wheelchair out to wheel me in. And basically, over the next four four or five hours, as we sat there, um, my legs basically froze in front of me. Um, I was sitting on on the bed and my legs just sort of froze like like that. They were just it was just complete 
paralysis just slowly over that time you know I could move my leg a bit and then slowly just 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 stopped and um and medics were were coming and and tapping on my legs and um and sticking things sort of in them and saying can you feel that and increasingly the answer was no I can't actually feel that anymore and yeah we again it's it's the first I've been interviewed like this before but I've not done it with someone who was there so you could even probably fill in things that I can't remember from that because it's pretty hazy but I don't remember I didn't lose it I don't remember panicking I was strangely very very calm about it because it happened so gradually and I didn't know what's going on but I yeah to know any anything you can I I, I don't think I was with you in A&E actually I think I was Ted as a doctor and Kate physio I think I left the we were in two cars anyway weren't we so then they that afternoon they did an mri scan and they they spotted that i had a uh uh, what turned out to be a freak abscess um at level t8 i didn't know much about the the spine at all but your thoracic spine is this area here and eight is the eighth vertebrae which is about uh there and so it was nothing that I'd, I'd done and no one's ever um, got to the bottom of how it, how it came about. The, the questions they asked were things like, did you swim in a, in a Scottish lock with an open wound? No. Do you inject drugs? No. Are you HIV positive? No. And, that, you know, those are the questions that they asked in, in the hospital. And um, they explained that, that there'd been some pressure put on my spinal cord and that I needed emergency surgery that night and I remember when they talked about that pressure had been put on my spinal cord I remember um thinking this sounds a bit like a very serious trapped nerve and what they're going to do is they'll relieve the pressure and then everything will sort of unravel and that that's what that's how I was approaching it I can remember saying to someone in the first day or so please just let work know that I'm just going to need a couple of days a couple of days off uh i mean yeah i didn't know it was a life-changing injury really or that you know it was going to be six months in hospital in in the end but that that was that's what i i guess that's why i was fairly calm i think i can put it down to that and you know i know people were praying uh, as well my family arrived that night some before the operation my parents the next the next morning from london and you know the distance over those months um after that was very hard they, they were they were you know brilliantly supportive and unbelievably um so shall i keep going andy is that um, yeah keep going because then then they operated that- yeah so so that's right they operated that night there was a, a neurosurgeon who was a locum who was available which was you know it was a weekend you know those of you who've been in hospital you know weekends are just the, the worst times to be in hospital the teams are much smaller so the fact that there was a surgeon who was on hand able to do it was was amazing um but yeah a couple of scenes then for the next couple of days just really stand out as i guess the the low points of of um, what turned out to be you know life-changing was you know the first one was um i can remember the scene the next morning my parents had arrived by now and the surgeon every, you know there was in the room and the, the medical team arrives you know sort of three or four people with clipboards and stethoscopes and my parents were the other side of the room and my brother I think and and they were all gathered around my feet um which had sort of blankets and bandages on them and and, and they they unraveled my my feet and it was one of those sort of 
very dramatic moments when everyone's you know you've got about eight pairs of eyes just trained on your feet including your own and he said could you you know could you try to just wiggle your toes and you know I tried and there was there was just nothing there was no no you know I was trying everything in my head there's no movement at all and I thought this yeah this can't this can't be happening and I could I could tell from I mean I'm not sure I'm not sure the wisdom of doing it in front of so many people because it was very dramatic you know we could have done it on the on the quiet when no one was around but I could tell that I could tell that he was hoping for more uh I mean I, I was I was too and I could I could tell that he was surprised he had hoped for more and that that was a real sort of kidney punch because I I had thought it will all unravel this operation would do it that was yeah, that was a really hard moment for me and 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 for friends and, and everyone. And I, yeah, it dawned on me that you know this is this is serious. I think the other scene that stands that stands out was was just I don't know when it was. You lose track of things, but one of the next few nights with the surgeon, who was a lovely, lovely man, Greek man, um, and he was standing at the foot of the bed. It was you know in the mid dark light, early hours of the night, and he was there with his clipboard and. And the you know the beeps in hospital. Those of us who spent time in hospital, they're just sort of incessant beeps. And and I thought I've I've got to I've got to know what the prognosis is, and I've got to ask him. And so I said, Mister Sarakis, do you think that I'll I'll be able to run again? And you know, medics are very careful about this. And he he said he said there's some he said there's some hope that you'll walk again but there's complexity to what that might look like. And I think you need to prepare for significant life, life change. Life's going to be very different for you now. And that, that, that probably marked the lowest, the lowest moment. I think I was on my own and he left and I was alone in the room. And um, yeah, all I could do was really look up at the ceiling because I was sort of, you know, just lying on my back and, I let out what was a um, yeah, confused and very raw uh, prayer, uh, including some some tears and shouting and and um, and some words that you won't you won't find in the Bible, <laughs> you know. But also things like you know why God and where are you God and are you there God and what are you doing, which which you might be you know which are in the Bible for those of us who aren't used to Christian things they are. People in the Bible say that sort of thing to God in the Psalms and, and God doesn't shut that sort of conversation down, so to speak. But it was all directed to God at that at that time. And um, yeah, so that that was the story, I guess, to the, the the lowest point. We could pick up the story in a bit. But that, that, yeah. that those were the that was that first three or four days, which were. Yeah. And can I just wind the clock back a bit? So how you work for a church so i'm assuming you you had been a christian at this point yeah yeah yeah, tell yeah. Us, like when you became a christian yeah i know I was, I was a christian i'd given talks on on suffering i mean two i think two months before that i'd given a talk on suffering and i'd finished it you know with a very dramatic quote from a lady who uses a wheelchair and yeah i you know just and didn't cross my mind that i'd ever have to use one myself which is how it's turned out so yeah so yeah as I said a a loving home a Christian home and I'd heard about Jesus at church as I as I grew up and I think the way I describe how I became a Christian is that at school I was I was Mr Effort Prize um if if I ever got a prize 
it it wasn't for for brilliance it was just for you know just trying hard um that you know apart, apart from one time when when they the, they mixed it up and they announced that i was i was top of the class and so this guy called guy winter who was the genius of the class that he had got the effort prize and i was you know i sat down i was very surprised and then there was a tap on the shoulder from one of the teachers saying they got it wrong and they swapped it back anyway that's the closest I, i'm still recovering in, from that now yeah but that that was the um yeah, so Mr. Effort Prize, Mr. Try Hard, and I thought I, I thought that's what I had to do with God: try hard, turn over a new leaf, be a better version of, of myself, get to heaven, um, get enough good boy points, avoid enough bad boy points, and that that was kind of what I was living with. And at some point in my in my teenage years, I um, yeah, I heard someone explain the Christian good news very clearly. I must have heard it from my parents and others, but at some point it just it just struck me between the eyes that God wouldn't have bothered to send his, his son to die on the cross. If trying hard was going to be good enough, Mm. he just wouldn't have bothered. He would have said, well, you just try hard and you'll be fine. Mm. But, but that, that was, um, that came home to me that, that I needed forgiveness, um, that Jesus had provided that forgiveness on the cross, that if I turned to him and trusted him, I could be forgiven and I could have a fresh start, and I could have the hope of eternal life. And at, at that time in my teenage years, I I turned and trusted, and was 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 overjoyed to discover that God would accept me as his as his um, forgiven child, and um, that I was in a relationship. And there were bumps along the along the way, but I was I was facing all of this as a as a Christian, as a Christian who. yeah I guess thought a bit about suffering and and, um, but but wasn't in loads of ways wasn't prepared for it but but in some ways really really was because I'd 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 had to think about it um, a bit so yeah yeah yeah. and so you're you're lying in a hospital bed in Stoke-on-Trent how did those truths that kind of brought you to trust in Jesus how did they they kick in at that point or do you remember what you were thinking yeah yeah I mean I I mean, I think the very the very first thing was that that truth that that the God of the Bible, in a sense, gives us permission to um, for life not the, the, the expectation isn't that life is going to be a bed of roses and that it's it's okay to to express. Um, that so the psalms were a great comfort that the in effect god says in the psalms you you may need to use some of these words in in life that was a sort of liberating thing whereas if if i just push it the other way if there is no god and you know secular atheism is is all there is if there is no god then this life is just as it is things happen nature to you know red in tooth and claw the strong eat the weak and so the question why what's going on the expectation that things should be different is stripped away it's not it's just a non-question so for a start just finding myself living in a worldview as a christian where it is it's right to say this world is broken and fallen Mm. um what's going on I, i i long for something better than this like the christian worldview plays all of that on side so um, and the expectation is that this world is fallen. This, there is something better to come. 
so that that was a start um maybe the 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 second thing I, I might just say that you said I could share a verse at the end, might just say that for later, which was the, the cross of Jesus. But the, the resurrection of Jesus, I think, became more more precious to me than than it ever was. I, I, I'd always, since becoming a Christian, believed that Jesus died and and that he didn't stay dead, but he rose physically in history. But I... Um, I went back to basics in those early weeks in in hospital, um, and since when I came out in the in the years in the year after, I just read a number of books again on the resurrection to, I guess, just deepen my conviction that that it really happened that um, that 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 people saw it happen, wrote it down early in history, were prepared to die for what they said they saw, um, that it's the best fit explanation, you know, an accredited fact of history. So that, um, yeah, there's a, can I just, there's, there's a man called John Chapman who is a Christian minister in Australia, and he always used, he, he, he would say that sometimes he had a low point in his life, and he would say he would get himself to the side of the bed and he'd say, um, Chapo, John Chapman Chapo, he'd say, you know, he'd wonder what why should I get going in the day? You know, things are things are hard. And he'd say, Chapo, have you had any new evidence in the last twenty four hours that the resurrection didn't happen? And you know, <laughs> and, and and he'd go, uh, no, I haven't. I still believe it happened. And he'd say, Well, you know, get on and keep going. And I think <clears throat> I think that's the effect that the resurrection had for me. Mm-hmm. That I there was nothing that persuaded me that the resurrection hadn't happened or hasn't happened since. And if you're looking in on us and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I say that's the place to go. Just read one of the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. Mm. And, you know, and again, for those of us who maybe think we're in a patch where there's not much suffering at the moment, we, we know it will come. So it's a good opportunity just to put down our roots and say, if this happened, then this life isn't everything. If this happened, then there's a world to come that Jesus promises where even if we miss out <clears throat> on things in this life, um, the best is is yet to come, and there is a physical world without without tears, uh, death, without viruses like coronavirus, mm. and without wheelchairs. And that's become that became that was just a, just a massive massive foundation for how I was to face the next eight years. There are we can talk about it in a bit. There are challenges. There. Are, things I still find hard and sad but I, I live with more hope than I think I did eight years ago because I'm I guess I'm forced to engage with the reality that that there is a new creation to come and I think about it more and I'm more excited about it than I was before I think so that that has been the big the big thing and that is just a truth from outside of me that has strengthen me so i'm not a particularly by nature optimistic character i've you know had struggles with depression and anxiety in the past but this is a truth a person that has strengthened me to face it so the, the story here isn't matt's a really optimistic positive guy who's faced sort of disability so i'm, I'm going on which another that's fine um so you're you're there you're at your lowest point as you said the the doctor said prepare for significant life change yeah and just just tell us what happened next Mm. and maybe take us up to present day 
Yeah, so I, I spent um, I spent two months in that hospital in Stoke on Trent, um, basically in that in that in the one bed there in that room. Um, people, lots of people visiting. My parents staying with people that they were put in touch with nearby and or in the Premier Inn around the corner. That was very hard for them in those sort of winter winter months. Um, and during that time, I wasn't particularly well. I had pneumonia. Mm. And so I didn't really get out of bed at all. And so when I did, when I was well enough to, my the leg muscles had wasted away anyway. But but um, I then was transferred to Stoke Mandeville, which is a hospital near Aylesbury, about an hour northwest of Watford. So an hour from my, where my parents were, which is an amazing provision. It's a spinal unit, a specialist spinal unit. Not everyone gets to go to a place like that. I did. I got to go to one which had a, a real history. It was the the home of the Paralympics. It had a real pedigree of sort of play, people playing sports. So lots of ball sports. So now, you know, I was back to chasing lots of different shaped balls, but, you know, learning to do so in a wheelchair and surrounded by other people who are learning similar things. And it, you know, strangely, it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, I mean, it was a very sad place, lots of broken bodies and, and, and also lots of people in worse situations than me, which is one of the things that one says to oneself in those times, you know, I'm not as bad as that guy over there who can't use his arms. And you do, you do find yourself saying that. And the guys who can't use their arms are saying, yeah, but at least, you know, that guy over there has to drive his wheelchair with it using his chin. So it was a strange experience. It was positive in lots of ways. Um, you know, I, I picked up very, you know, Wheelchair tennis became the, the main sport that I've played since. But I was there for another four. I was there for four months, and um, it was a very focused um, time. Oh, eventually, I was able to um, to stand. So when when I put enough muscle bulk on, I, it became clear that I I had some muscle function, but but my legs still remain partial sensation. I can't really feel them, so I don't quite know where where i am which means that balance is hard and my muscles are affected so they're they're sort of the word is well their spasticity is very high so they're they're very tight they don't they don't move quickly enough to to really walk that that far so i i use some walking sticks they they help me to learn how to walk again with walking sticks you move through a zimmer frame and then walking sticks and and other things but eventually i was able to to do that and then i then I left in the August, so it'd been February to, to August, really, in, I guess, in a form of lockdown. I, I remember being very scared to go out into the outside world, a bit like, you know, lots of people in COVID after lockdown will be a bit scared as we all emerge. And I certainly felt that having been institutionalised. Um, and, um, but yeah, I, I, so that was that. Was that. Then I, I moved back away from central London and down to Bromley to restart life and find out part, get some part-time work going. And um, yeah, so that's the sort of story of disability. I, I still use a, a wheelchair. I think we've got most, most of the time. Oh yeah. Some, yeah. We share some pictures. This is yeah, yeah. mode of transport. Just talk us through these things. Yeah. So what's that top left? I was given a hand bike. So I cycle using a hand bike. So just using my arms lying down, um, it's great. It's good. It's good fun. It's good fun. Bottom left is my my trusty um, mobility scooter, which um, maxes out at I think four miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, is a bit of a liability in a shopping centre, but it's quite fun and it's just quite a safe way of getting around. So I use that just to, that's my commute. That's me outside church, the building I'm in now. I enjoy having a go on it. Yeah, people do. My daughter loves it. I, I mean, kids who are three and four think it's the coolest thing they've ever, <laughs> they've ever seen. <laughs> so uh, there we go. So that that's good. I've got various other things. The one in the middle is a bit cooler, I guess, isn't it? That's a sort of wheelchair for basketball and tennis, which I play. And then, uh, yeah, on the right, you can see I, I, I can stand and walk with walking sticks, which is really useful. And I don't want to take that for granted. But the reality is when you've got two walking sticks, you can't carry children or rucksacks or bags. So it functionally, it's not that useful. But but it's, you know, it is useful to get into a restaurant that has steps. So I, I go to the gym to keep it going and I, I walk in the swimming pool to keep it going. I don't want to lose it. It's a really good thing. But uh, the wheelchair is is a large part of, of, of life. But again, you know, there are people in the world who don't have any wheelchairs and I've got, what, three or four there. So, you know, I, I, there, are, there are things to be thankful for even alongside the challenges. And, and God has provided is, is part of the, the testimony. Yeah. 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 Thanks, Matt. And then yeah. um, you mentioned earlier you're married with two. Yeah. There, there's a parallel story here with, with Ruth. Yeah. Um, just yeah. Listen on that. Yeah. So the parallel story is that we, we had gone out before my, um, my injury we met in, in central London. I mean, there's a really much longer story involving all sorts of messes that, that I made, but when the injury happened, we went, we went together and that was very hard for her when she heard uh, the news. And um, yeah, Ruth would say, you know, as I left, I just checked that she would, you know, she'd want it to be heard that that, that God has helped her to cope with the, the change. Yeah. Um, marriage to me with a spinal injury wasn't what she'd, what she'd pictured, but she's found strength from, from God to cope with that new reality. And uh, yeah, it took me a bit of time to, to get there but three years after my injury um, we, we got married and um, yeah we've had two children uh, Grace who's three and a bit and Tom who's a couple of months old now so it's been yeah it's been quite a story and that part in God's kindness has ended happily um, uh, yeah um, so that that's ended happily even though alongside that for her and I guess for the children as they grow up, there there are some differences and some challenges to to life, some less good moments, but but things that we're genuinely able to be thankful for, as well. So, yeah, that's my story of how 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 life has how life has changed in the last eight years. Yeah, great, thanks, Matt. And um, you mentioned earlier you've got a verse to share with us. Yeah, something that's encouraged you. I think we've got it on the screen. Jake's going to um, share it. And I'll give you a few minutes, Matt. You can just share us. Yeah. So shall I just read it? It's from Romans 8. Some who are used to the Bible would, would know this. Others might not. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Um. Yeah, so they're, they're great verses. The, 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 these, just by way of sort of putting it in some context, the, these things there refers to all that's come in the chapter before Romans 8, which is basically the, the present sufferings that we experience in this world, as well as the, the hope of, of the world to come beyond, beyond the grave. And, you know, it says, what, what should we say, given all of that, in effect? And 
his statement is, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's his sort of rhetorical question. Um, and so what he's saying is God is God is for us. And so nothing ultimately, ultimately can be against us. And before someone's a, a Christian, we we are against God. We're, we're at war with him. Um, in a general sense, you know, God and us, we're um he's against us we're against him if you could put it that way you know he sends things like um yeah warnings in this world i guess things like covid are warnings to wake us up to a day when when he'll come back to to judge you know when he will ultimately be against us if we're still against him um but 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 in a, in a general sense even in spite of that the bible says that he is still in a real sense for this world and certainly when we become a christian we 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 really come to know that God is for us. We become children and he becomes our, our father. So his point is that God is, God is for us. And so nothing or no one can ultimately, ultimately be um, against us. But, but I have to, but in suffering and, you know, those watching will know this in different ways. That's not, that's really not what it feels like. Um, Certainly, when suffering first comes into our life, it, it, it can really feel like God is God is against us. He's set His face against us. He's He's made life significantly uh, harder. Maybe that's what it's felt like for us in the last in the last year. Um, it can feel like God is against us. Um, you know, and particularly when we, you know, we we look at the experiences of those around us as well. Even if we're not suffering, you know, I just think of the just if i just think of friends and family from the last few weeks or months you know i can think of unexpected death at a young age multiple repeated miscarriages uh, um incurable brain tumor just you know just from close friends and family let alone the unbearable suffering that we that we see and experience around it and and, and yet so it doesn't feel like god is for us and yet that's what the verse says it says if god is for us who can be against us and then what's the proof then the proof positive that god is for us well that's what the next verse is verse 32 um god we did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also graciously give us all things um when i was in hospital a, a man who i'd never met but who's since become a a, a good friend and sent a postcard out of the blue, which simply said, I'm really sorry to hear what's happened. I'm praying for you. I want to I want to encourage you not to judge God by your circumstances, which are a very bad guide as to what he's like. Mm. Um, I want to encourage you to look at the cross where Jesus died for you to to see that that is the proof that God that God loves you. And that was very it's very helpful. I mean, I knew that, but it was helpful to just see it written down. And that's what this verse is saying, really, that the, the proof positive that, that in history, that we know that God is, is for this world, for us, for, for his people, ultimately, is that he sent his son. So that whatever we think about how God runs his, his world, um, he, he took his own medicine, he came into this world. And I, I guess just to yeah maybe just to to earth it you know i have two children as i've said and i am i am for them and i'm i'm fiercely protective of them and i i would spare them anything i would hold them back from any suffering i could i could prevent them from enduring 
And yet the Bible says that God could have could have spared his son. He could have kept him up in heaven. But he chose not to spare him because he he loves the people of this world so much that he he gave his son to to die on the cross under his judgment in our place that we could be that we could be forgiven. So he must love us very much that he that he gave us his son. And I guess that's that's the place that I've looked to consistently in the last eight years when I've been confused, when um, when I wonder what's going on, that that I know God must be for me because he wouldn't have bothered to, to give his son if he didn't care about um, about us. So that Andy, I think that's that's the place that I go to and that's the place that I that Christians go to. We you know we live by faith, not by sight. So it doesn't mean that we we see, we understand. Just as I get, you know, as people stood by the cross on Good Friday, on their first Good Friday, it must have been very confusing. What is God doing? This looks a massive mess. And yet the Bible tells us that was the that was the worst moment in history that God used for the, the best. So if God could do that then, then that gives me confidence. Even though I don't understand what he's doing in my life and others' lives, that even bad things he can he can use for good because he did that with the cross. So yeah. Thanks very much, Matt, for sharing those verses and sharing your story uh, with us. Uh,